Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Tennessee Power Hour is here. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. The cast of thousands who make this show happen. Shout out to Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny. Uh, down the halls, we broadcast live. Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee, the Blackbird Studio, and the BlackbirdAcademy.com. David Reed's the chairman of the board. Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson making the show happen as well. Sarah Triplett, Regan McCrossin here as production assistants. We'll keep you updated on Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. If more news surfaces there, do they come to some sort of agreement that after this year, both sides part ways and he plays out the year? We'll find out because camps are opening across the NFL. Uh, a handful of them did uh, last week and over the weekend uh, with teams and players reporting. Uh, Titans will open up this week as well, and that's where we can start the power hour. Big week for the Titans as they go into the 2021 season with a lot of expectation. But also, in a weird way, they're still a bit under the radar. If you read through the national reports and storylines of camps across the league, the Titans are mentioned, but it's not at the, the, the forefront of, okay, they are a contender. And I, I think they are. I, I think they enter camp as a contender. Um, I'm not sure where you guys break camp and, and actually begin to think about true goals and expectations. Uh, but for me, this is a Super Bowl contending team. Uh, that hinges on the improvement of, of what they do on defense. I think they're, sorry, way under the radar for two reasons. Arthur Smith leaving mm-hmm. people outside of Nashville in particular That's and us. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know we about don't know. Todd Downing. And the defense was really bad, and people are unsure about the replacements. Uh, you know, Bud Dupree's a marquee guy but injured, and we don't know when he'll emerge. Caleb Farley, the top draft pick. Coming off two back surgeries, we don't know about him. So your two biggest defensive additions are injury unknowns. Mm -hmm. And the rest of that cast of characters added are not uh, big, glamorous guys by any means. So a lot of turnover, we know that's good. We know it's going to be better. We don't know how much better. But I think most of America and Vegas wonders, you know, change for change's sake, no big change on the on the defensive staff outside of Schwartz, who's not doesn't hold power per se. A lot of uncertainty on that defense, which was the team's undoing, and also that idea of potential regression in, in tight games. The loss of Arthur Smith to me is the biggest thing about this team because I like some of the additions on defense and they've got to be better, but they have to be better. Yeah, you they're going to be better. To better. The defense was to horrendous. They're going to improve on defense by law of averages. What you hope is that the law of averages doesn't affect the offense and how they won close games a year ago. That, that to me, is the biggest thing because Julio Jones, adding him to this, that offense should be better. Should be on, on paper, but the loss of Arthur Smith is what we don't know because he was perfect with his system and what he designed for a run-based, run-first team 
in Derrick Henry and basing everything around that, playing to Ryan Tannehill's skill set. Corey Davis, you know, finding a way to get him involved where he wasn't really before. I think the loss of Arthur Smith is something that's probably not being played up enough with this team, and we have no idea how that's going to go. But I am a little bit surprised that the Julio Jones addition doesn't give this team a little bit more shine well, in here, terms of expectation. Picking up on something that you've said in our conversation about this team in the past six weeks, Todd Downing can call some bad plays and have some good success with the talent. And so the thing that makes the coordinators, first and foremost, and the thing that makes the head coach, first and foremost, is the talent, right? Arthur Smith was excellent, but Arthur Smith came to have excellent talent. Arthur Smith in Atlanta, I think, will be good, but he starts out with not nearly as good a talent as he had here. Arthur Smith, based on the talent, won't be as good at the start in Atlanta calling plays as the head coach offensive coordinator. And Todd Downing should be much better than he was his year in Oakland as the offensive coordinator, which, by the way, was the end of the Jack Del Rio regime when things were tailing off and Mark Davis was getting ready to chase uh, John Gruden. Because first and foremost, and I'm being consistent here, I, that's why, I, while I didn't like Shane Bowen's work last year, I kept circling back to, the guy is working with nothing. He's got no pass rush. The cornerbacks are dropping like flies, and they're giving him Jonathan Joseph. And they're giving him Tuzar Skipper, who got cut yesterday. Um, and so I'll judge him a lot more on what he does this year with this renewed crop that we're talking about. And I think Todd Downing stands to be better because you have to really do a bad job to mess up with the talent the Titans have on offense with a real given out of the backfield in Derrick Henry to start it from. I'm with Chad on, on the – and Paul, you too. I mean, we all agree. The talent level on offense, I mean – Best it's if, ever been? If Todd Downing can't produce with this offense he's really by bad. week 12, he needs to be fired. I mean – <laughs> that, that would be my expectation. Uh, writing would be on the wall. If you can't produce with this offense, based on what we saw last year and the additions made and everyone coming back healthy, that, we know the health is a contingent Always factor. a caveat. If, if Tannehill goes down and they're stuck with a bad backup option, which they have right now, um, then that this what I'm saying goes out the window. Or Henry. But if, if, they, if they stick with their core four, and they have a healthy offensive line, which they made through last year even with the injuries, they should still produce a ton of points. And Todd Downing, with uh, the success and failures that he's been through in Oakland, um, he should learn from that and build on that. Expectations should be extremely high for him. And if he doesn't cut it, and you can't cut it with this group, you're not going to cut it, period. This should be a layup for Todd Downing to become a head coach in the NFL with the talent he has inherited with the Tennessee Titans. Two years, maybe one that's, year. That's the truth. Uh, offensive coordinators across the league would kill to have inherit an offense that averaged 31 points per game and look at the trend around the league and how quickly those coordinators become head coaches. This is Todd Downing's job to lose. And to me, it's, it's set up for him to knock it out of the park. This is batting practice. Matt LaFleur had nothing like this talent. He got a job in this one is year. Exactly. Well, yeah, because he because was connected was with McVay. Yeah. Um, this is this should be batting practice. The, the key is the defense. Can the defense be average? Can they, they, they don't have to be a top five or a top ten defense in any certain category. They don't have to produce 50 sacks. They just can't be league worst 
in a category. They can't be league all-time worst on third down. They, they need to jump from the bottom barrel basement level into that second tier defense on any given Sunday. Average 16th at, at most of the big categories. Average See, but, but even 16, there's not a huge gap between like 16 and 21. 20, yeah. You can be anywhere in there. Don't be 29. And, and you can play winning football. Yeah, don't, don't be basement level of the league to where your offense has to put up 34, sometimes 37, 40 points to actually produce a W in the, in, in the column. I, can they do that? And I, the expectation on that should be yes, yes, given the upgrades that they've done and the overhaul that they've made in the secondary. Am I wrong to think that Mike Vrabel would be quick to do what Hutton is saying, that if by halfway through the season Todd Downing isn't getting results out of this offense, he should be fired? I think Mike Frable would do that, and I don't think I don't. he would do that with Shane Bowen and his defense. But yet there is a clear defensive coordinator on his staff that you could easily, if there's no improvement, by week three, you could easily plug and play with the guy that you have sitting there. It's been a head coach in the NFL in Jim Schwartz. He's not firing anybody along the way. No, uh, and I, I'm, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek on right. Downing, too. Like, it, Th- this guy's set up to succeed. So here's the question. No, but I do think that there needs to be, uh, you're in the window for only a short amount of time. There needs to be some tough decisions that have to be made at some point. Well, I think the and tough it could be made during be, the season, depending on how it's going. I, I think if this season doesn't go well, healthy, then you're going into to Vrabel's last year. I, I would think he's getting, getting extended no matter what. But then he knows, you know, uh, his coaches would be going into their their last year, and then you would have some freedom to to uh, maneuver. To, to maneuver, uh, I would say we're kind of measuring them against themselves now. And to me, the next question then is: as good as they can be, where is that compared to Kansas City? Where is that compared to Buffalo? To me, Kansas City, everybody says is the best. I think Buffalo. Not too far off, very different stylistically. And I know Buffalo, uh, I think, lost to the Chiefs twice last year. Mm-hmm. But those are the two rabbits you're chasing. And then a lot of other talented teams, maybe in your ballpark, also chasing, who, you know, did what you did last year, uh, or, or roughly, you know, a Cleveland, a Baltimore who beat you at home, uh, teams that I might may or may not love, but who rightfully go into the season thinking they're on the same trajectory that you are. And we've talked repeatedly. The NFC, it's hard to pick a couple of teams that you love. AFC, it's hard to pick teams that you hate outside of the bottom five. Lots of good teams. So where do the Titans sift out in their progress compared to these other teams' progress? If we're making uh, groups of teams that could contend for a title, am I wrong to think that Titans, Bills, Chiefs are that top group I think from a it, roster standpoint. I don't think there's a separation. I don't think it's Chiefs and then Bills, Titans. I think it's Chiefs, Titans, Bills in whatever order. You'd go with the Chiefs, the two-time defending AFC champion, and they won a Super Bowl, but I don't see a lot of separation. I don't, I don't think if we're doing a tier system of the AFC, and I maybe Baltimore I th- is up there also, but I'm putting those teams I right there with I think maybe the Browns other. are up there. I, I yeah. like the direction that they're going. I mean, I just don't see it as, well, they're in that group with these two teams, but they're not Kansas City. I think this roster is there with Kansas City. Are they better? Should they expect to beat Kansas City and get to the Super Bowl? I don't think that that's the, the baseline expectation well, well, with well, this the team. Well, the big question is but those they can corners. Compete. Right, can they defend, can their 
maybe their biggest weakness defend Kansas City's biggest strength. This Titans defense was slow. They are, and they talked we, about We need to figure out how, how much faster this defense got. If they are considerably better in the quickness stance of their defense, Chad, on the back end against Kansas City, then they're up there in that level. Right now, can't say. Big question Kansas City's head and shoulders Farley? above them right now. Where's Farley? Where's Fulton? Right. Uh, you know, what's Jenkins like in his 10th, 10th year? That's huge turnover at corner. And that's my, one also, of my I biggest mean, things to watch out of this camp is the cohesion of cornerback, where in your top four, the only guy returning played, what, six games last year. He's a second-round guy mm-hmm. that I think got beaten down for being hurt. You know, a huge resurrection from, from Christian Fulton, who's a, a year removed from being a second-rounder and the new hope at corner, well, that's, who now ranks fourth at corner. So it, it's also like Jonathan Joseph and Will Compton. You know, what do those two guys do for your median speed on yeah, defense? Yeah, kill. It's not just that they were slow. No, they were three slow. steps too slow at a few spots with guys that played some meaningful snaps throughout the year. Yeah. And that, that, look, that Will Compton is who he is, not to knock him. You know, at that point in his career – He's you know a late addition it wasn't for a, a reason, and, and Jonathan Joseph the, the same way, but those guys were so slow for their position. So one would reason to believe that these additions are going to knock that up quite a bit. Well, if you're going to have a slow right? guy, if you're yes. going to have a slow guy in that mix, let him be Breon Borders, who's kind of a young journeyman who's scrapped and is doing everything they ask and fighting for his life, as opposed to a guy on the back end of his career who you're saying, well, he's smart enough that he'll survive. You know, I think those are two different kind of slow guys, at least. And Breon Borders ranks fifth at best. You know, if you're in a position to play Breon Borders high, that means you've had another injury outbreak. Well, corner. And, and, and they never intended to put Joseph as high as they did. Uh, he was fifth at best this time last year, yeah, too, right. as, as they started you, camp. You, you, I mean, he was fifth at best. That's the thing with the injuries. If your injuries are spread out, you're okay. If you think about the Titans last year, and this is another miracle. We don't talk about this often enough, that they won 11 games yeah. because they had so many injuries at left tackle. They played the third left tackle for, what, six games. They played Breon Borders and – and Jonathan Joseph, a bunch of games. They had, they weren't among the most injured teams in the league. San Francisco was way more injured than the Titans were. Pittsburgh, too. But the Titans had real outbreaks at specific positions that should kill you, and they won 11 games. It was pretty extraordinary what they overcame. They're going to get hurt. You know, you hope that the two twisted ankles or the two hamstrings that happened on defense in the next 10 days aren't at the same position. You know who else was banged up last year? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes. They used that as an excuse? No. They're not talking well, the about Titans how banged up they were last the Titans, year. The Titans didn't either. I, I, I'm using it as an excuse for them a little bit now. Not an excuse. Oh, they're I'm pointing to that on defense they for how bad they it. sucked. They overcame it. They, I mean, the Titans did well for their injuries, too. They didn't do well <laughs> against Baltimore in the playoffs. That's where they choked it away, and they, they were not Agreed. themselves in that game. And we all said the same thing. <laughs> the Titans blew a massive opportunity last year. They set themselves up. And then they, they played their worst game of the season in the, at the worst possible time, having survived all of these things we're talking about. And that's what good teams do, right? We're, we're talking about the, the Bucs were hurt and they won. Well, the Titans were hurt and they won too, but they didn't win when it mattered the most. Coming up, we will discuss some other big headlines with the Titans that we are putting in that top-tier category of things we're looking for as camp begins this week in Nashville. We'll also give some Olympic takes Uh, from this weekend, including Team USA and the men's basketball team falling to France, even though we won Chad's parlay.
It's all coming up on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 in the Tennessee Power Hour talking top headlines as Titans camp is set to begin. We mentioned Titans defensive improvement. Uh, there are a lot of layers to that that we'll break down over the coming days and weeks. Uh, but that's number one. Outside of Julio Jones joining the Titans and everyone discussing Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill. For me, guys, number two on my list are the second-year players from the 2020 draft that did not contribute much last year and what they can offer now. Darrington Evans, Christian Fulton. We should throw in Laurel Murchison into that group, too, in a rotational piece. They need to produce with the playing time they're going to be given. Fulton's going to get a lot. Darrington Evans could be a critical role player for this offense, too. And I think Evans is a, (laughs) a great example of how Downing can layer this offense off of what Arthur Smith was doing. Didn't have that luxury last year. And I I believe they had a plan in place and a package in place for Evans before all the hamstring issues took place. This is more than just Julio Jones is here, insert him with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, and they're going to go pick up second and six and third and seven. If if we're comparing to Kansas City, for instance, their top line players produce. Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, they produce. But there are other players that also pick up crucial first downs and keep the chains moving when their time and their number is called. That's where Evans comes in. On the defensive side, we're going to start out, the Titans will start out, and we will start out talking about Christian Fulton a lot more than maybe what we thought we would, because Caleb Farley's not going to be on the field. Christian Fulton will be. I think eventually he's going to play inside and Farley will be on the outside. But until then, Fulton's going to have to be a chess piece for them. There is no certainty that we're going to see Caleb Farley Week one, we have to go into that thinking that way. And if that's the case, a lot hinges on the play of Christian Fulton in year number two. Huge camp for Christian Fulton. And uh, I have as one of my three things, that quarterback cohesion. They talked so much about communication last year. Um, They're talking about this conceptual cohesion. There there, there are things we're not going to learn from training camp. I wrote this this morning. We're not going to have a good sense of this conceptual understanding beyond your position group for defense, right? We're not going to see that. Because we didn't last practices, And we're not going to get it out of the three preseason games for what we see. We're not going to get a real sense of Todd Downing as a play caller out of the preseason and camp. And we're not going to have a real sense of how good they are at third down defense, how much better. We're not. They're not going to we're not going to see it. They're not going to let us see it. They don't want us to know. But we are going to know about some some cornerback cohesion and and the communication. We are going to know about these third down uh, I'm sorry, third edge rush options. Dupree out, much like you're talking about uh, Farley being out and Fulton getting a chance. With Dupree out, we're going to see if Derek Roberson and Shane Ray are better than what they were last year, which they're banking on because those guys still have their places. We're going to see John Simon come in. I would have loved this signing two years ago, which they should have signed him two years ago. But he and Vrabel are tight. He's a lot better than Brooks Reed, for example. And we're going to see Rashad Weaver, a fourth-round pick, if, if they actually found a guy finally in the middle of the draft who can help rush the passer, a position that they consistently have underplayed. Dupree, big signing. After that, not much. And, and finally, at right tackle, Dylan Radens. Is, is he going to be a guy that they slow play because he comes from North Dakota State? 
or they're rightly going to have a second round pick go out and win this job, take it away from Kendall Lamb, start on opening day like he should. Sam Brilo's on uh, NFI or PUP. He'd probably get himself out of the mix. He's still recovering from an injury. We never learned what it was that knocked him out with six games left last season. But those are three spots where you can actually tell what's happening. Quarterback cohesion, third pass rusher, right tackle. And keep in mind, Radens is moving from left to right tackle uh, from what he did at, at, in college to the pros. Um, I think he's, he's built well for that position. He reminds me a lot of Michael Roos. Michael yeah. Roos started on the right side. And we've talked about this. He didn't play big boy football per se. But he did really well against the big boys at the Senior Bowl week, right, which is why they liked to. him. Right. So if he could do it there, don't slow I, the transition. Let him go. And, and he moved around quite a bit. I think they, they tried to throw him into the fire as much as possible, as much as you can, given the rules during OTAs and minicamps. And I think they liked what they saw. Um, he, he took well to instruction from, from Titans coaches on the offensive side. Diller Radins were speaking of. Uh, I, I, go in, I go into this battle. At right tackle, and there's not many starting jobs up for That's grabs. That's really this is maybe it. the only one. Um, I go into it thinking there's more of a battle to be had than what I thought whenever they drafted Dylan Radins at the time because of the optimism they have for him and how he's handled the, the offseason, his first offseason with the team since joining since the draft. But Kendall Lamb is there. Kendall Lamb has 27 starts, I believe, over the course of his career, but primarily he's in a backup role. But he has that experience. Good run blocker. Uh, Sembrilo is a good running offense. They also really like Ty Sembrilo. Um, and, and the question is, is he healthy enough to be in the mix? This is a battle that is going to go on for a while because they're going to give Dylan Radins a ton of reps on these three preseason games, a lot. And if he can prove himself over the course of two or three quarters a game in those preseason reps, he can be the starter against the Arizona Cardinals. I, I, don't, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he can win the job outright instead of seeing him start in October. Maybe that's also a possibility here, but I don't think it's Kendall Lamb's job to lose. I think it is, it's open for the rookie to take the right tackle spot, and it's a huge plus that Taylor Lewan is back and healthy and not missing time like we're going to see with, uh, with uh, Caleb Farley and like we're going to see with Bud Dupree. Lewan's healthy, ready to go, and what's a big year for him. He needs to stay healthy for the first time in two years on the left side. Well, and going back to the initial, the second-year guy that needs to step up, I'm putting Christian Fulton in a tier by himself in that category. He is vital mm -hmm. for the defense's success this year and what they need out of him, which they didn't get in year one. I think Evans is a nice luxury piece that could eventually be a vital piece to what they're doing and how they should be used. Someone in the YouTube chat says uh, should be used like Alvin Kamara is used. He's not Kamara. No. But you could utilize him in a similar way where he does different things. They don't right? have Derrick Henry in front of Alvin Kamara. No, and, 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 and again, it's not about volume. It's about how you utilize him. And I would say Kamara's going to get more traditional running back carries than Evans would, but you can get creative. It's a layer, as you said, Hutton, that, that can be added too. to it. Game plan guy. But I'm putting Christian Fulton as vital, not just a layer. He has to step up and do something this year. Especially if Farley, like you're saying, we have no idea Farley's timetable. You know, so if he's opening day possibility, that eases some of the burden on Far uh, on Fulton. Uh, if he's October, you know, then Fulton's massive for the first month. And if he's later than October, you know, we have no idea. But it's huge for Fulton. Paul, explain the NFI versus PUP because Caleb Farley finds himself on the non-football injury list, which, which 
uh, teams can use going back even to the final full year of college for a player, which is where Farley picked up the, the, the back issue. Uh, meanwhile, they have Bud Dupree on PUP to begin. But ultimately, doesn't it account to the same yeah. equation once the regular season In terms of coming off, I mean, you have to pass a physical to get off. If you stayed on this through training camp, an NFI would convert to a PUP, like when it comes time to cut the roster down to 53 or 56, however it works now, the, mm -hmm. the mechanics at the end. NFI simply means non-football injury. Caleb Farley was injured playing football, yes. He wasn't injured playing football in the NFL or for the Titans. So that's what it boils down to. So if you hurt yourself uh, getting out of your car or dunking a basketball, you'd be NFI. But also if you come in hurt from, from college, it's not an NFL injury per se. So it's just a different way to classify injuries. It's not really that important in the, in the distinction because, like you said, they head to the same place. And you get off of it the same way. You pass a physical. There's a talking trend after a Team USA loss that builds for the next four years that Chad is annoyed with. We, we get to that when we come back as Team USA falls to France uh, in the opening game for Team USA in men's, in men's basketball. We'll, we'll break it down. Plus, we'll give you the 360 parlay for tonight. Straight ahead, Outkick 360 rolls on. Time to make it rain again because Chad Withrow gave us a winner over the weekend. Welcome back, Outkick 360. FanDuel.com slash OK360, the website where you can join us for the 360 parlay each and every day. You can also sign up. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You can place up to a $1,000 risk-free bet. You can also bet $100 or $200 on the Olympics. And you bet $10 to get $100, bet $20 to get $200 when you place your first bet on the Olympics. FanDuel Sportsbook. Just click the Bet Now button. FanDuel.com slash OK360 to get that amazing offer for the Olympics. Chad, you won on the Olympic parlay. Where are we going tonight? We're going to go baseball, and only because it's difficult to get the timing right on uh, the Olympics. <laughs> weekend because, was perfect. Yeah, you could do it over the weekend and stretch it out, but when things start after our show and when we're betting on them, it's difficult from the time gap uh, with Tokyo. So we'll show you the parlay right now. We're going back to baseball. We are going to tonight's Red Sox-Blue Jays game. Paul's going to hate this, but we are going to bet Red Sox money line. And for Nick Pavetta to have a big night. All these things could lead to a win. Over five and a half strikeouts for Pavetta, under 11 total runs. So we are wanting the Red Sox to win um, a tight, low-scoring game and for Pavetta to have a big start, and that is today's part. Perhaps the Blue Jays will serve up some wins on platters like the Yankees did in two of yeah, the that was Red Sox. Three wins in that four games. Tough for the Yankees. Just brutal. Team USA goes down again. Uh, this time, opening game against France. Uh, close, compelling game. It was fun to watch, but it wasn't fun watching Team USA just throw it away. And, and the poor shooting involved, uh, coaching involved, Popovich uh, just very nonchalant. Can Steve after Kerr the take game. over? I, it's, it's just bizarre. Um, and it's a bad sign for a team that showed these signs <laughs> in preparation for this tournament. And now they arrive in Tokyo and lose to France in the first matchup. Well, and you said it was a, f a fun watch. Uh, if you had Peacock, it was fun to watch live at 7 in the morning, but uh, that's the only place you could see it was if you paid 
for digital streaming, and they had a replay of three it when everyone Monkeys. already knew they lost, and no one wanted to watch from 3 to 5 p.m. Uh, I ended up watching the end of it, watched quite a bit of the first half, but I wanted to see the end, where it was a 16-2 to two run by France yeah. in the final three minutes to win the game. And wide open threes, just uh, I'm getting so missed. tired of it. And they had a guy down with a poked eye, and Drew Holiday had a chance to shoot a free throw of a wide three open. with 20 seconds left yeah. and, and bricked it. All this, uh, compl- the excuse making, you know, Drew Holiday, they got guys just showing up. Well, Drew Holiday was the leading scorer having just shown up from the NBA Finals in this game. Kevin Durant is terrible. I do not understand what's going on with him. Four of 12. And I'm tired of hearing about the rest of the world catching up. The rest of the world has been catching up to the U.S. in basketball for years. This is not something new. Back in 2004 when this started, when they lost three games and ended up winning a bronze, you had the Redeem team in 2008. This is a part of the cycle. U.S. gets fat and happy. They win three or four golds in a row. They go into an Olympic tournament. They get their ass kicked. And then all the best players decide to play again in the following Olympics. It's going to happen again. Steph Curry's going to play in the next one probably because everybody's going to be embarrassed with the, the U.S. team showing in this roster, one. This is not a bad roster, though. It's, and that's the other point I want to make, Paul, is I'm tired of hearing about, well, these are, you know, there's seven NBA players on this other team. Rudy Gobert is the only superstar on France. That's an actual NBA superstar. Nicholas Batum is their next best player. He's not a great NBA player. <laughs> well, I'm saying that our roster is not this, a bad roster. Again, I'm not complimenting I, France. I, I, I know. That's what I'm pointing to. This team has Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker off the bench. Go down the list. There is no excuse. Stop making excuses for USA basketball. Now, should the best players in the world step up and play the way Kobe Bryant, LeBron James did, and everyone else, and roll through a tournament like they did in 2008? It was a good gold medal game against Spain that year. That should happen. Yes. They also have not lost in the Olympics since 2004. They won the gold in 08. They won the gold in 2012. They won the gold in 2016 while the rest of the world was catching up. But this is still embarrassing. The U.S. sets the bar. This team, talent-wise, should set the bar. Stop making excuses for them. And, Paul, it starts with their head coach, who's very nonchalant about losing. Popovich is so nonchalant. I kind of had it on in the background, the replay. Um, And and lo and behold, the halftime interviews with Steve Kerr. Now, I haven't paid any attention to who's on the staff, but I said, Steve Kerr's on the staff? Let's change it up. Let's let Steve Kerr you know take who else over. Is on the staff? Let's send Popovich home. Jay Wright from Villanova. And I'd guess what happened the last time they went guys. to a college coach and Coach K? Yeah. They won three straight gold medals. I'd take either one of those guys over Popovich, who doesn't seem into it. I, I'm not saying he's got to throw a tantrum. I understand that guys have their coaching styles, but this guy screams disinterest. And the team at key moments seems disinterested and that is the fundamental american problem when we lose at basketball in the olympics no sense of urgency no and look this team could still very well win a gold medal and but they're making the it harder goal. on themselves yeah i mean they're going to be fine they, they get they're a 37 and a half point favorite against iran in the next game they'll be a huge favorite against czech Did republic they cover? they'll get to the quarterfinals they'll advance out of their pool play to the quarterfinals and then it's going to be tough once again france is one of the other better teams that are going to be in this tournament. I mean, it's not it's not all as lost. How did France react? But I, I'm I'm with you guys in that the reaction from this team is, uh, to me, emblematic that they're not going to win this tournament. 
And the, you asked how France reacted? They reacted like they won an, an NBA game in middle of November. Yeah. They did not care. Walk Australia the beat them and said, well, we knew going in we were going to beat them. We knew that this is the way we play. This and, is the and team. And our, our chemistry, we could it's beat It's a lot like team. 2004 when they won bronze. Yeah. Right? It's just, you're right, that trend of they don't win and they don't meet expectation and they revamp for four years from now. And, and I'm with you, too, on on the star players not participating in the Olympics. It's their own prerogative if they want to do that or not. But the whole load management excuse goes out the window when you have players that literally just finished winning an NBA title or playing for an NBA title that flew to Tokyo and joined this team for the game against France. So when you have LeBron and CP3 and Harden who have said load management issues are a reason why they need some time away, but yet you have other players willing to step up and fill that void that just finished playing last week. That speaks volumes to where the mentality is for the Olympic Games versus the star athletes. And there's no question, the elite star power is nowhere close to where it was four years ago. And the co coaching-wise, it's nowhere where close to where it was four years ago. And that's going to change and change quickly. And you're right, France treated the victory like the middle of November NBA regular season win. And unfortunately, Team USA treated that loss like a November loss in the NBA as well, where it's just a very nonchalant, no urgency needed, everything's going to be fine, it's a long road. And, and instead, I, I wish there was just more of a sense of punch to what Popovich is saying with this group to get things going in the right direction because this is not just a one-loss deal. We, this is a trend that has been going up during these friendly competitions in preparation for Tokyo. Yeah, they've lost four or five now, I mm -hmm. think, uh, overall, when you look at the, the trend with this team. So, I, I mean, I'd put them as a long shot to win the gold medal at this point based on recent history and the way they've played. I mean, they, they could, and again, that's the ultimate goal, and if they do that, great. You know, this is an embarrassing loss to start the tournament, but it doesn't matter in the end if they go on to win gold. There just needs to be this reestablishing of what USA basketball should be from everyone. I'm never going to get on the guys who actually go to the Olympics and play. So I'm appreciative right. of those that chose to represent the U.S. and go play. But I am disappointed in the guys who were asked that decided their summer vacation was more important. And I know it's their choice to make, and we can't make it for them. But I'm disappointed in LeBron James. I'm disappointed in Steph Curry. I'm disappointed in anyone who was healthy enough to go that decided they didn't want to do it for whatever reason. But this is the constant cycle of USA basketball in the Olympics. Lose it in 88 in Seoul, and then what happens? We're not sending college kids over anymore. Let's send our NBA guys. That starts the dream team. 04 happens, then everybody decides that they're going to go play again. This has kind of gone through throughout history. Even back in 72, the controversial loss to the Soviet Union led to some changes in USA basketball. Then they go on and win in 76 and 80 and 84. 84 had the greatest college uh, Olympic team of all time led by Michael Jordan. And then 88, ha I mean, it, it's we, we see the writing on the wall. Yes. I hate that it takes us going and embarrassing ourselves with the rest of these countries in a sport we should never lose in. And don't let excuse makers convince you that it's okay for the U.S. to lose in basketball. It's, it's not. not. We're, we're the best. We are elite. We are a global force when we have everyone pulling in the same direction. And that's not happening right now. I know it's not the same, fellas, basketball players. But I wish you had gone over to the pool and watch the four yes. by 100 men's swimming relay, freestyle. 
these guys kicked ass. They had been through a similar thing. They lost in what, 2000, 2004, maybe 2008. And they made this huge team-wide U.S. swimming commitment that this is a race that we should own and never surrender. And they won it. And they got in front of the camera with Michelle Tafoya, and they, at, they get, she gave them their splits, and they were like, that was a dominant race. That's what we do. That's who we are. And they were proud as hell about it, and they were pumping each other up. And that was a team right there that was motivated, driven, and proud as hell. Now, that's their moment, I understand. They don't have an NBA Finals and all of that. But that's what basketball and every other sport that goes yes. over there, if you're going over there, be like that. Be like that. Try to be like that. Emulate that. And the swimming has been fantastic. The swimming is always going to be better than the basketball because it's the pinnacle of swimming. Well, that's why it's in prime time. I mean, that's, that's what they do. But, but the, the, men's, the USA men's basketball team is a valuable property Absolutely. for this. And they're not putting it on live because they want to get you to subscribe to Peacock. And all the men's basketball games will be on live on Peacock only. Whereas in years past, they put, I think, on USA. Typically would have all the basketball games, uh, which I, I think is a mistake, but it's a business decision by NBC. Let me also say that I would love for USA Men's Basketball to hire the Australian coach of Titmus, the girl oh, who beat Katie Ledecky in his reaction uh, to that win, which I thought was going to end in, in him punching Exploding. the woman in front of him by accident yeah. with the fist pumps and the shaking that was going on with that guy. He that was, was that was incredible to watch. Let me hit one other thing, Hutton. You, you'll respect this. I'm sure you didn't see it. Um, I watched the skateboarding because Simon was in on the skateboarding. We taped some of it. We watched some of it live. They had technical troubles when they went to the skateboarding uh, event mm -hmm. at one point. They didn't have the audio of the two guys who were calling the skateboarding. And so Mike Tarico, who was an incredible pro at this, he didn't do play-by-play -play of the skateboarding. He didn't know the tricks and that stuff. But he just did biographical information of the guys who were doing the skateboard. It was absolutely seamless. You would think that Tariko was supposed to be doing the skateboarding. And it was probably three and a half, four minutes of Tariko seamlessly carrying the skateboarding until NBC, which should have no technical troubles, by the way, for an event like this, paying what it's paying, got back to their two skateboarding guys. I thought it was a brilliant example of just what Tariko is right now and what guys at the top of this are. And Niger Houston, Nigel Houston, excuse me, who's the best skateboarder in the world and lost, didn't, didn't get on the podium, said, it's just how skating goes sometimes. That's the problem with these quote-unquote sports that are added. This is Lindsay Jacobellis, I think, who was on our show one time at Super Bowl Row, right? Jacobellis, yep. Who showed off and did an extra thing and lost the race. All of these, like, X-game-ish type of sports that they put in the Olympics, if it's the kind of sport where it's just how it goes, where the best it's person in the winning. world doesn't, about, doesn't, good, good run, right, you know? it's not doesn't win and has four tricks in a row where he falls on his ass, <laughs> and gets a zero, that strikes me as something yeah, that's not People have a Olympic. problem with giving awards for art for the same reason. This is physical art, the skateboarding. It's an artistic thing. It's just it's how not, it goes. And also, like one of the I'm sorry, odds, I'm gonna, one of the I, odds I, that the best swimmer doesn't as, medal. As we get ready to sign off here, at the risk of sounding anti-skateboarding again, I'm going to sound oh, anti-skateboarding again. Any sport that you're medal stand, age 13, 13, and 16, 
gold, silver, and bronze should not be an Olympic well, sport. Well, gymnastics, how old this was Nadia? This is a child's activity. How old was Nadia Comaneci when she won? 13, 13, and 16. I guarantee you there's not a sport in history that have <laughs> featured those ages to win gold, silver, and bronze <laughs> in an event. That's all of them. Nadia Comaneci, remember, because she was 14. We remember Amanda Beard in swimming because she was 14. It's not common for pre-teens and early teenage people to be dominant in the sport. This is why it should be excommunicated from the Olympics and go back to the X Games full-time. Thank you. Last thought on the uh, – I mean, that's what sports are now, I guess. No, some it's of not. these kids. I, I, There's I, no 13-year-old winning a gold no, medal I, I, I'm in saying, anything else. I'm saying that the, the kind of games where – Unless it's a Chinese how, gymnast that's, who's being forced to at gunpoint. That's just how the game is where the best guy doesn't necessarily win. The skate park, amazing thing. An empty, empty, huge fan, uh, huge stands that they spent probably, you know, tens of millions of dollars to build. It's depressing. The whole thing is uh, when you look around and see these empty stadiums yeah. that they built. Outkick 360 back tomorrow with a ton to talk about. We will have even more clarity on the SEC expansion. We'll dive deeper into Texas and Oklahoma's statement. Texas A&M, their Board of Regents meeting this evening. Plus, Aaron Rodgers. Apparently, according to Ian Rappaport, He's going to report to Green Bay's camp with tomorrow. The question is, will we hear from Aaron Rodgers between now and then, whenever we sign on tomorrow, and what does that mean for Green Bay? We'll, we'll discuss that and a lot more in what's going to be a jam-packed week as NFL training camps begin across the league. We'll have it all right here, Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box, do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.